folks tuned to Yesterday, delivering shows from Radio's Yesteryear. Welcome, I'm your host, Mark Levonier. In this hour, comedy from one program, it's the Fred Allen Show, a surprisingly high-fidelity broadcast for its original air date on NBC. From October 11th, 1939, an all-star talented cast includes Harry Von Zella's announcer, Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Bert Lahr, and Fred Allen. Show brought to you by Hepana Toothpaste for the smile of beauty, Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. An hour of smiles with Fred Allen, folks, 3,600 seconds of fun and music. Fun with our star comedian, Fred Allen. Lottie Da with our guest star, Bert Lauer, that cowardly fugitive from The Wizard of Oz. Music with Peter Van Steeden, with that all-American swing quartet, the Mary Max. And with the sensational singing star of the boys from Syracuse, Wynn Murray. The time has come. It's the Fred Allen Show. Any similarity between the next voice you will hear and any living voice is purely coincidental and a figment of the acoustics. <laughs> the unfortunate owner of this nasal impediment uh-huh. is Fred Allen in person. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we assemble with good intentions. Oh, no, uh, uh, never uh, mind the good intentions, Fred. How are your jokes? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Harry. You know, radio is the one industry where the law of averages doesn't function. In radio, it always seems that a comedian's intentions and his jokes are direct opposites. And uh, you're here with good intentions tonight, Fred. The best, Harry. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'll be back later, Fred. Now, no, you don't. Wait a minute. You're going to stay right here with me and swelter. Gee, it's sure hot in here tonight, isn't it? Hey, Pete. Yeah? When the band plays the next number, tell the trombones to blow over this way, will you? What for? To get a little relief from this hot air around here. Why don't you stop talking? Uh, now, if you're trying to get me hot under the collar, Mr. Van Steeden, the humidity has beaten you to it. Look, I show you in here. You see? <laughs> see I've never seen heat like this in October, Harry. Have well, you... this is Indian summer, Fred. Well, we just had one Indian summer in September. Yeah. Well, I guess this year it's a double feature. <laughs> you... <laughs> you think it is? Yeah. But it certainly was hot Saturday. I went up to see that uh, Alabama-Fordham game, remember? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. It got so hot in the first quarter, Fordham took out their fullback and put in a good-humor man. <laughs> in the second, he had trouble going around the ends with his wagon, I might say. In the second... <laughs> they threw his vanilla for a loss. In the, in the second... <laughs> In the second quarter, they took the pigskin off the ball and put on a cretonne cover. <laughs> and towards the end of the game, you know, it finally got so hot. Say that, you know, <laughs> that knock just came in time, Harry. That next hot joke wasn't so hot, fortunately. <laughs> Come in. Mr. Allen? Yeah? Are you back on the air for good? Yes. That's done it. Goodbye, all. Wait, wait, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold him, Harry. I got him. Go ahead. You came in here last Wednesday night. You pulled that same line, and then you shot yourself. I know, but last week I missed. <laughs> well, he didn't miss himself tonight. <laughs> you know, we ought to do this show in a morgue, Harry. It would save a lot of cleaning up around here. Huzzahs with salutations, and welcome back oh, now, today. wait, what is this? An echo in the studio? Wasn't that your speech last week, Portland? Yes, but I didn't get a chance to say it. Well, it's a little late to welcome me back now. You, uh, you heard the show last week. Oh, was that the show? Uh-huh. Ma- <laughs> Mama said it was your rehearsal. Oh, no, no, no. We, uh, last week was the first program. Don't believe all you hear. Didn't your, didn't your mother hear it? Only part of it. What happened? In the middle of the program, Mama's portable radio got down off the table and went into the closet. The portable radio walked out on me. Well, that proves at least that this program is going places. Say, Harry, even if it's only in closets. <laughs> Say, Harry, did you, uh, did you hear? You know, closets are handy with the moths in the closets and the millers on the program. <laughs> Say, Harry, let it what? go. Let the house. Say, Harry, did you, uh, 
Did you, did you hear any comments on last week's Fandango? Cross your heart. No, Fred. I uh, went right home and stayed in the house all week. Oh, right after the... Uh... Well, how about you, Pete? I didn't hear anybody speak right out, but... Uh... Well, I knew that was coming. <laughs> that little conjunction. But, uh, but what? The sponsor was seen talking to Phil Baker. <laughs> Through an interpreter, I suppose. <laughs> Well, I'm getting nowhere in high. Well, look, did anyone see any notices, anything in the papers? I didn't see your name mentioned, but I did see a notice in Winchell's column. It could have meant you. Yeah, what did Walter say? The line read, What comedian is on his last eggs? What? <laughs> Mr. Van Steeden, did you ever have any hair on your head as a baby? No, uh, I was as bald as a honeydew. And your mother was nearsighted, wasn't she? How did you know? By your conversation. You are slap-happy. I don't get it. Yes. <laughs> How does Peter being bald as a baby and his mother being nearsighted make him slap-happy? Well, she must have spanked him on the head. <laughs> I'm an icky. Well, that's wet. Then I'm an icky. Van Steen? <laughs> Is that the fellow who's on his last eggs has company now, if you just know. Van Steen, you are a keen judge of character. Which line is no longer needed since you blew the other one? <laughs> now, where was I? You were trying to find out about last week's program. Oh, yes. Somebody must have heard it beside that guy on Variety. Let me see. Wynn. Uh, Wynn Murray. Yes, Mr. Allen. Now, what was the reaction out your way? Where do you live? In Jackson Heights. Oh, Jackson Heights. That's a, a suburb of the World's Fair, isn't it? Yes, Jackson Heights overlooks the fair. Well, that was the trouble. Jackson Heights started overlooking the fair, and a trend set in. <laughs> you know, I hear that next summer they're going to start conscription to get people to go to the fair. <laughs> if you get in Class 1A, you have to pack up and leave right away. I wouldn't know, Mr. Allen. Oh, well, that's beside the point, as Grover said when he put the perisphere next to the trilogue. <laughs> What I really want to know, when is this. Did you hear anyone around Jackson Heights speaking about last week's program? Only my family. And uh, what did your family allow? They said there wasn't enough of me on the program. There wasn't enough? <laughs> is there any more of you, Wynn, put on the program? No, this is all of me, thank heavens. Gosh, I'd, uh, I'd hate to have you on my mind, Wynn. You'd sure have a load. Yes, I would. Oh, don't pay any attention to Mr. Allen, Wynn. Nobody else around here does, Wynn. Oh, I can take it. Oh, I'm only kidding, Winnie. I'm just trying to find out how I can improve the program. Well, I can recite. I can tell you. Now, you. wait a minute. Wait a minute, everybody. This may be trouble. Come in. You want an opinion? Uh, oh, you, uh, you heard the program? Yes. And? It's too slow. You mean? Speed it up. I should. That's it. Bang, bang, bang. Goodbye. He must be in a fast business. I make minute rub. So long. <laughs> minute rub. Gee, that was the sponsor. You heard what he said, Alan. More speed. Okay, the sponsor wants speed. That's what he's going to get. Now, on your toes, everybody. We'll start the program over. Take it away, Pete. All right, Pamela, Sal, present. And here he is. Thank you, and... And here she is. Hello. Well, you can't get it any faster than that. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Wynn Murray sings for you from Yokel Boy, that popular song, Come Love. After the storm comes the rainbow. Peeping through the sun Then the dawn of the day Takes your troubles away Comes love Comes trouble Comes a 
rainstorm. Put your rubbers on your feet, comes a snowstorm. You can get a little heat, comes love. Nothing can be done. Comes a fire, then you know just what to do. Blow a tire, you can buy another shoe. Comes love. Nothing can be done. Don't try hiding, cause there isn't any use. You'll start sliding When your heart turns on the juice Comes a headache You can lose it in a day Comes a toothache See a dentist right away Comes love Nothing can be done Comes a heat wave You can hurry to the shore Comes a summer Comes love Nothing can be done Comes the measles Quarantine the room comes a mousy Comes love, nothing can be done That's all, brother, if you've ever been in love That's all, brother You know what I'm speaking of comes a nightmare You can always stay away, comes depression Comes love, nothing can be done Now, ladies and gentlemen, we present our midget quiz. This is the shortest quiz in radio. Portland has selected three people from our studio audience to act as sort of an impromptu committee. Each person will be asked only one question. Each question pays $10. This quiz is entirely unrehearsed, ladies and gentlemen, and I can assure you that nothing has been prepared. If the contestants win any money when the time comes to settle... I shall prove that I am entirely unprepared. <laughs> and now, is your committee uh, committee ready, Portland? Yes, it is. And our first contestant is... Uh, Mr. Vincent Moore. Mr. Moore, how do you do? Fine, thanks, Mr. Rollins. Uh, do you live in New York, do you, Mr. Moore? I do, Mr. Rollins. You live here in New York? Yes. And what is your occupation, may I ask? Bartender. You're a bartender, are you? Bartender, yes. Sir. You're a contact man for backers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you, uh... You haven't brought any samples with you tonight, have no you? <laughs> I wish you'd have come around a little before the program. We could have used a bartender. I was looking for somebody to put a head on Van Steven. <laughs> <laughs> now I, uh, well, uh, yours is not a profession to be laughed at, Mr. Moore. Uh, a great many changes I know have come to the bartending profession lately, haven't they? That's right. Say, what became of those old guys, the old walrus mustache guys, and the other fellows who used to draw the soap pictures on the mirrors? What became of them? I used to run on the WPA now, Mr. <laughs> but, uh, well, uh, they'll come back strong. Of course, you can't tell a, a tavern today. Most of them look like tea shops. And the old-fashioned bloated bartender, he's gone. The boys all look like clerks now. They tell me they tell me there's a tavern over on Park Avenue where they, it looks like a tea shop. They even have a fortune teller in there. A lady goes around and reads the olives in your martinis. <laughs> Do you want to uh, uh, add a short uh, resume to what's been going on here? <laughs> no, I think I had enough, Mr. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I was just uh, uh, trying to, to give the folks an idea of our committee before we get started. Now, next, Portland. Uh, Miss Doris Riley. Miss Riley, uh, how are you tonight? Oh, just fine. <laughs> uh, do you live here in New York, do you? No, I'm from Boston. You live in Boston, do you? Yes. That's a peculiar thing. I, too, come from Boston, Mass. The only difference is I guess you came voluntarily and I came by request. <laughs> May I ask your uh, your occupation, Miss uh, Riley? Telephone operator. Telephone operator, are you? And uh, where? Boston Consolidated Gas Company. In the Boston Consolidated <laughs> Gas Company? <laughs> really? Well, it's not a laughing gas company. <laughs> You know, it just shows you what a, what a small world this is, Miss Riley. My brother Bob works up there for the Boston Consolidated Gas Company. He's up there in Everett uh, making gas in Boston, and I'm over here making gas. 
Are you uh, here on just a pleasure trip? Are you a little visit? Just over the weekend. Just over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York will be a great city if they ever get it finished. <laughs> have you uh, Have you looked around? No, I haven't had time. I just yeah, get I mean, in. Did you miss the L on 6th Avenue? Yeah. <laughs> they took it down, and then when they saw what 6th Avenue looked like, they were going to put it back up. <laughs> you have a very pleasant weekend here, Miss Riley, and give my regards to my brother when you go up home again. I surely will. Uh, thank you. And next to uh, Portland? Mr. Clyde Dorr. Mr. Dorr, how are you? You live in New York, do you? I do. You live in New York. We're lucky tonight. We're getting all people from near home here. <laughs> the, uh, what, may I ask your profession? I'm a chiropractor, Mr. You're Allen. a chiropractor, are you really? Well, I'm very happy to meet another chiropractor. You know, we have a uh, chiropractor on the program here. Is that so? Uncle Jim is an old retired oh. chiropractor. Right. He finally gave it up. He decided that he couldn't go on doing things behind people's backs. <laughs> Maybe he's wise with that, Mr. Allen. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that uh, I think he, he uh, gives treatments occasionally. I saw an installment collector around here this morning mention something about an adjustment to Uncle Jim. (laughs) Well, now we'll get down to our quiz. We only have three questions here. It doesn't make much difference uh, uh, whether they're answered or not because you win even if you lose. First, Mr. Moore, I'm going to ask you, this question was filched from the world of books. Mr. John Steinbeck, the author of Mice and Men, recently wrote a new book which he called The Grapes of Wrath. Now, do you know from, from what the title of the book was taken? Was it a well-known book, play, or opera, The Grapes of Wrath? Let me think for a minute, Miss Plum. Yes, I will. I'll be very happy. I wish I could join you. (laughs) If I was equipped, I certainly would. Do you know where Mr. Steinbeck got The Grapes of Wrath? No, I couldn't ask you that one. Well, it was taken from the battle hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's tramping out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. And now, Miss Riley, your question. Millions of dollars are spent in advertising each year to popular, uh, popularize slogans. Now, I'm going to ask you to complete these uh, supposedly well-known slogans. Quick, Henry. The uh, flip. Uh, good to. Good to. Shh, quiet, quiet. <laughs> Very good. Call for that man who's never answered. The little man who wasn't there. <laughs> Call for uh, Phil, uh, Phil, uh, uh, Phil. Uh, oh, Philip Morris. Philip Morris, right? <laughs> I'd walk a mile for what? Uh, walk a mile for a. Uh... Uh, for a. Now, uh, isn't it awful? Huh? It sounds. <laughs> well, it is if you own I one. But... <laughs> you walk a mile for. Hold down, right by her. A member on our own, uh, Miss Riley, a camel. A camel. He, he told you I'll have to take a little off of the camel. They and they what? They and they what? They uh, that slogan, the cigarette slogan. They what? They and they what? <laughs> that. As far as I'm concerned, you're correct. I don't know what the other one was myself. And now, Mr. Dorr, this is a question in etiquette. If you are dining in a cafe and your napkin slips from your lap, is it considered good form to pick it up? I would say no. Uh, You are perfectly right. The The waiter will give you a fresh napkin. If you're eating in a cafeteria, of course, you can either throw a moth under the table to eat the napkin up, or if it's a paper napkin... Uh, etiquette says, Miss Poe says that you can throw water on the paper napkin, stoop down, make a large spitball out of it. <laughs> next one here. Well, this really concludes our quiz. We have another feature we're going to start next week, ladies and gentlemen. It's called uh, The Question of the Week. You know, uh, on all these programs, the round table out in Chicago and the, the forum and the town hall all have experts uh, talking on the vital topics of the day. Now, next week, we're going to start uh, a little series here, letting the, the, the little man discuss with me, if he can get a word in edgewise, uh, the topics of the day. Now, I want to thank you all for being so kind to us and helping us out tonight. And I'm going to present you each with a gift box 
containing all of the Bristol-Myers products, including Ipanor and Salopatica. The meeting is now adjourned, and thank you very, very much. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Merrimax. Their song is dedicated to the Internal Revenue Department tonight. It's called, Do You Ever Think of Me? When you have another's arms about you, do you ever think of me? When you whisper, I can't live without you, do you ever think of me? And when your eyes disguise the same old love and lies you tell so tenderly, deep in your heart I'm feeling when some heart you're stealing, do you ever think of me? Do you ever think of me? Do you ever think of me? When you have another's arms about you, do you ever think of me? Do you ever think of me? When you whisper, I can't live without you, do you ever stop to think of me? And when your eyes disguise the same old love and lies, you tell to all your new loves, oh, so tenderly, tenderly, deep in your heart and feeling, when somebody else's heart you're stealing, tell me, do you ever, do you ever, ever think of me? Gentlemen, according to my timely little reminder notebook, I see there are only 74 more days before Christmas. So this is a very good time to give you a few hints on your Yuletide shopping. Pardon me, Fred, but don't you think a hint on tomorrow's shopping list would be a little more timely? Well, Mr. Von Zell, if you want to quibble, yes, I do. (laughs) Well, then, ladies and gentlemen, I'd suggest that tomorrow you go to your druggists and get a tube of Ipana toothpaste to help you have brighter teeth, firmer gums, and the kind of a smile you can be really proud of. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we present our invited guest, a man who comes to glorify the evening, a comedian... (laughs) Oh, now, wait a minute, Harry. Try to hold in. (laughs) Well, I can't hold in, Fred. I just saw him outside. Does he look funny? (laughs) Yes. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this hilarious chap is... (laughs) Oh, now, Portland. I saw him in the Wizard of Oz. Oh, boy, is he a wow. Quiet, quiet, you two. That guy's a riot. (laughs) Yes, that's what everybody says, folks. Meet the funniest man in the world, Bert Lodge. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. You're a scream, Mr. Lodge. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot, everybody, for this boisterous welcome. Well... Well, Bert, you're the funniest man in the world, so I'm going to keep quiet now and just let you get funny. Well, Fred, I... Uh, uh, let's go, Bertie, old boy. Well, uh, <laughs> This is embarrassing, Fred. Uh, I don't know how to tell you. Well, you tell me what, Bert? I don't feel funny. <laughs> Bert, after that build-up, you don't feel funny. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess. I was funny all morning. I had the chambermaid screaming around the hotel. <laughs> The two I caught. Well, if you were funny around the... Uh... I, I was funny all afternoon. You were? Over in Lindy's, a fly flew in my soup. Yeah? I called the waiter over and said... Take this soup spoon and bring me a fly swatter. Did they laugh? Laugh. Twenty diners dropped their racing forms. That's what I can't understand, Fred. All day long, you might say, I've, I've been a pixie on the wing, a gay blade, a, a spontaneous pantaloon. But right now, I don't, I don't feel, feel funny. funny. I heard you on Bing Crosby. 
Dorsey's program, Mr. Lar, and you were witty. I was brilliant, Portland. Remember that gag I told about the two patients meeting in Mayo's clinic? <laughs> the first patient says, oh, this will kill you. <laughs> the first patient says, I'm aching from neuritis. And the second patient says, <laughs> I'm Mandelbaum from Chicago. <laughs> Yeah, I was a rowdy that night. <laughs> I was in the groove with Crosby. Well, you don't. I, I can't understand what's, uh, what's the matter with you tonight. You don't think it's something mental. But... Mental with me? <laughs> Quit kidding. <laughs> well, you know, it could be your libido, Bert. Yeah, maybe it's my subconscious. Maybe I ought to see a psychoamethyst or something. <laughs> you know, with Crosby, I was another man. Oh, and could we use the other man right now? <laughs> I can't understand why you can be funny with Crosby and with me, nothing... Well, I don't know, Fred. I, I, I think I like to work with Bing. He, he gives me something. Well, I'm giving you something. Yeah, but with Bing, it was money. <laughs> I see what you mean. You, in other words, are averse to barter. Look, I'm broad-minded, Fred, but after all... <laughs> What can I do with 200 tubes of toothpaste? <laughs> yes, I get your uh, your punt, but after all, <laughs> I'm a punt killer. After all, if you don't feel funny, let's forget the comedy tonight. We'll just kibitz around and chew the fat. You know, the public can't always expect a comedian to be funny. That's what I say. People think if one comedian is funny... Two comedians should be twice as funny. Oh, it's silly. Now, here we are, you and I. You're a comedian, and I'm a comedian. We're together. Are we twice as funny? To the contrary. To corner phrase. <laughs> to corner phrase. Well, let's drop the whole thing. Say, how come you left Hollywood, Bert? You must have had a reason. Yes, Fred. Hollywood went too far. It was up to me. Well, wh what... What did you do? It was my turn to go too far. <laughs> so I got on a train and came east. Oh, you mean out there you were getting in a rut artistically? Yeah, I was tired of being the great lover. You wanted... <laughs> you wanted to get away from it all? Well, most of it. There was a little blonde at Metro who might have intrigued me, but... <laughs> The silly little minx let me get away. <laughs> Say, you must have taken it hard. I was momentarily frustrated. Really? I renounced the human race. I sought solace in the animal kingdom. Oh, and that is how you came to play the lion in The Wizard of Oz? I would have played a flea on Bulldog Drummond. <laughs> well, you certainly did a swell job, Bert. You still look like a lion to me. That's the trouble. I got too far into character. <laughs> Why, I was even starting to molt. I, uh, I can tell by the top of your head there. <laughs> well, are you continuing your animal characterization? Not me. I'm, I'm sick of making a living on all fours. I want to play Ibsen, Chekhov, Odette. You know, one of those parts where I keep sipping cyanide of potassium all through the second night. <laughs> Well, do you really think you can play one of those serious roles? Why not? What have I got that if John Barrymore had, he'd get rid of right away? <laughs> well, why, why should a successful comedian want to play tragedy? Oh, I'm a ham at heart, Fred. Give me a pair of spats, a bamboo cane, and a nod from all of Hampton, <laughs> and I'm in ecstasy. Say, what do you expect to do... When you retire, Bert. Oh, I don't know. I may open a small toll bridge or something. <laughs> well, now that we know your ambitions, what are you going to do here in the East besides fend off senility? I'm going into a new musical show, a sequel to Amphitryon 39. What's it called? Butterfield 4230. <laughs> Does the uh, show look like a hit? Oh, yes. It's a little gem. <laughs> We're rehearsing in Tiffany's window. You're, uh, you're playing the lead, of course. No, it's just a bit. Ninety-two sides. A bit. Yeah, I'm on the stage two hours before the play begins. <laughs> I'm ever-present but unimportant. Well, what sort of a show is it, Bert? Well, the best way I can describe it is, uh, 
It's a 17th century Hell's a poppin'. It is. I thought Hell's a poppin' went farther back than that. <laughs> some of those jokes. Well, what, uh, what character do you assume? Well, in the first act, I'm a subdued knave. A subdued knave. In the second act, I'm a tippet mender. Oh, you men tippets, do you? <laughs> and in the last act, I play Gaspard Levine, the muscle man in a bistro. <laughs> you run the artistic uh, gamut, as it were. Yes. I range from the tentatively foul to the delightfully obnoxious. <laughs> in other words, you ignore the audience's heartstrings to get right to their nostrils. To put it bluntly, yes. My big scene is in the second act. As the tippet mender, I am discovered in Madame Pompadour's hope chest. Uh-huh. The king is bibbing in the anteroom. A Florentine enters. I suspect poltroonery. I chide Pompadour. When she is well chidden, <laughs> I divert her. She has choose me. I gesundheit her. <laughs> the Florentine offers to roll the dice for Pompadour's favors. The dice are cocked. I'm undone. Just in time. It sounds like a great play, Bert. Yes, they just grabbed the author for observation. Uh, are you uh, are you singing in this show, Bert? Well, nothing to speak of. Uh, I cajole Madame Pompadour with a chansonnette. You do? Yeah. Well, say, how about a little chanson uh, now, before you go? I hoped you would ask me to sing tonight, Fred. I really did. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Why? I want to get even with a guy in St. Paul. <laughs> and what form is your revenge taking, Bert? Well, I'll catch up with an old request. Roses of Picardy. Roses of Picardy. Wait a minute. He's lost the words. Wait a minute, Peter. I've got him, friend. Roses are shining in a Picardy in the hush of a silver dew. Roses are flowing in a Picardy, but there's never a like you and the roses will die with the summertime and our rose may be far farther apart but there's one rose that dies a lot in a Picardy that I keep in my Thank you. Thank you. A wire has just come in from the management of the Baldwin Locomotive Works. <laughs> Bert Lauer opens with Unit 701 <laughs> next Thursday morning. Uh, thank you, Bert. And now, uh, Wynn, say, did you uh, did you uh, hear Bert's song, did you? Yes, I was out in the hall. Oh, you joined the audience, eh? <laughs> you know, Bert is really the Orson Welles of song. <laughs> but now, going from the raucous ridiculous to the vocal sublime, Wynn, I'm going to ask you to sing an antidote to sort of offset little Bertie's uh, uh, cadenza here. Now, what would you suggest? Would you like to hear Johnny one note? Well, I certainly would. Johnny could only sing one note And the note he sang was this Poor Johnny one note Sang out with gusto And just overlorded the place Poor Johnny one note Yelled willy-nilly until was blue in the face For holding one note was his ace Couldn't hear the brass Couldn't hear the drum He was in a class By himself by gum Poor Johnny one note Got in Aida Indeed a great chance 
be brave. He took his one note, howled like the north wind, brought forth wind that made critics rave. While Verdi turned round in his grave, couldn't hear the flute or the big trombone. Everyone was mute. Johnny stood alone. Cats and dogs stopped yapping. Lions in the zoo all were jealous at Johnny's big thrill. Thunderclaps stopped clapping. Traffic ceased its roar. And they tell us Niagara stood still. He stopped the train whistles, boat whistles, steam whistles, car whistles, ball whistles, bar. With gusto and just overwhelm all the crowd. So sing Johnny one note out loud. Sing Johnny one note. Sing Johnny. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce a discovery of mine, a gentleman whose imitation of birds and animals is positively astounding. His repertoire includes wild turkeys, bull moose, mockingbirds, and even the trumpeting of elephants. Uh, look, uh, excuse me, Mr. Allard. Just seals tonight. Just, uh, seals? I'm sorry, just seals. Yes, but for an artist of your versatility... Yes, I know, it's humiliating... But I'm getting a cold, and no matter what I imitate, it sounds like a seal barking anyhow. Oh, I am sorry. Me too. I hate letting you down like this, but there just isn't anything I could do about it. Oh, I think there is. Just you follow this very sensible suggestion of Harry Von Zell's. Don't ever neglect a cold. At the very first warning sniffle or sneeze, take sparkling sal hepatica. For believe me, ladies and gentlemen, the sooner you do, the better. and his reconditioned Ipana troubadours have just concluded a fruity rendition of An Apple for the Teacher. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the mighty Allen Art Players, whose notices after last week's performance were suppressed in 364 family newspapers throughout the country, take another chance. Tonight, they offer a satire on big business. It's called Dr. Scollop's Quandary. Or, it was the Institute of Private Opinion's last check, and it bounced. Atmosphere, Peter. Hello. Hello. Is this Vanderbilt 122456? This is the Scallop Institute of Private Opinion, madam. We're taking a poll on women's fashions. What is your opinion of the buckle? Oh, you wouldn't. It looks like a sunken knapsack. Thank you. Oh, good morning. Good morning, Miss Graff. Good morning, Dr. Scott. Public pulse feeler number one is on the job, Miss Graff. Dead. I, 
I hate to put my muddy shoes up on that clean mahogany desk. How did your shoes get so muddy? I was chasing the man in the street, and he ran up an alley. <laughs> but that's life in the survey game, Miss Graff. I've got to pry into people's private lives to find out what America thinks. Get me a number. What number? Any number. Any. Yes, I always call a preview number to warm up my questioning technique for the day's work. Here's your party. Hello? Scallop Institute of Private Opinion calling. Hello. Would you mind telling me how many lumps you found in your oatmeal at breakfast this morning? I never How many people read your newspaper over your shoulder as you came downtown in the subway this morning? I never... Do you think a woman's place is in the home? And if so, what kind of a home? I never answer questions. No? No, I ask them. Who are you? Professor Quiz. Yeah. (laughs) I drew a statistical blank, Miss Graff. I'll try another number. This telephone survey business is some profession. Not profession, Miss Graff. It's a calling. And what they're calling it is nobody's business. <laughs> and business is booming, Miss Graff. You know that I have just landed the Puma cigarette account? Their slogan is, don't forget your change, forget your cigarette. <laughs> Puma cigarette? Yes, Puma cigarettes have just started a new radio program starring that comedian, Bob O'Burl. Now, I'm starting a survey on O'Burl's popularity and a coincidental check on Puma cigarettes. Shall I start calling? As soon as I finish this uh, unfinished business here on the... What's this graph running down the front of my coat? Your fountain pen is leaking. Oh, (laughs) so it is. Remind me to blot myself later. Yes, sir. Did you put through that, uh, that survey on hamburger preference? With or without onions? Yes, I called 500 hamburger stands. And your final results were? 300 wrong numbers and 199 busy signals. That's 499. You did get one number. Yes, I spoke to a man who had just eaten six hamburgers with onions. What did he say? I couldn't write it down. It was a sound. Oh. We should have taken a recording. It was obviously a departed calorie voting its approval. Come in. You uh, want a survey taken to decide? Oh, no, no, quit kidding, but I'm Bob O'Burl, a radio comedian. Yes, sir. You've you've just started on the Puma cigarette program. Well, that's me, yes, sir. (laughs) What brings you here, O'Burl? Well, I hear you're taking a poll on my radio popularity. Uh, That's right, O'Burl. Yes? The Puma cigarette company is spending $100,000 to find out if America is really listening to your program. Yeah? Your job depends on the Dr. Scallop survey, O'Burl. Yeah? The Scallop Institute of Private Opinion is at work this very moment. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> How am I doing, Doc? I'll check up for you. And Conk, vice president in charge of radio, darn it, speaker. What are the figures on Bob O'Burl as of this very minute, Clunk? A total phone calls, 2,000, Chief. Tentative results? 1,998. Always listen to them. And the other two? One party was deaf, the other was a sponsor. Check, Clunk. Check, Chief. Well, how am I doing, Doc? Phenomenally, O'Burl. Yeah? You are compiling the best record my institute has ever polled. Thanks, Doc. Well, I'm off to see a guy who's got the measles. I'll be back in a flash with a rat. <laughs> The scallop check is foolproof, Miss Graff. The nation is burl-minded. Get me any number at random. Yes, sir. I'll prove the public likes Bobble Burl. Here you are. Hello? Shirley Greenspan's residence. Mademoiselle Greenspan responding. So much no. <laughs> this is the Scallop Institute of Private Opinion, madam. You like Bobble Burl? Who is this? I'm not telling you who is this till you aren't telling me who is that. This is the Scallop Institute. So nothing is wrong with my scallop. I got the full head here, thank you. No, 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 madam. What do you think of Bob O'Burl? Again, with the boil, cutting out the double talk body. But, madam. Getting off the line, measure, or I am complaining to Fiorella. <laughs> Listen, I am... Oh, 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 my husband is coming. Calling me back in five minutes, darling. Well... 
a memo confirming it? That's what I get for interfering in Clunk's department. What's this note here on my desk? It's a memo from the wristwatch king. Fuller Pulliver? Yes. He wants to know the results of your survey on dunking. Oh, yes. Pulliver is designing a coffee-proof wristwatch for habitual dunkers. He wants a nationwide check on dunkers' habits. Take down these messy statistics, Miss Graff. Yes, sir. Composite conclusion, 62% of all Americans dunk. Check. 18% are neat dunkers. They hold a spoon under their crullers to catch the seepage. Twelve percent are sloppy dunkers. They wring their donuts out after dunking. Get these figures right off to Fuller Pulliver. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hello, Salt. Yes, sir. <laughs> now, what is it now, O'Burl? I am a busy man. I know, I know, Doc, but how about this popularity poll? It's got me worried. Now, these semi-minute checks are highly irregular, O'Burl, but I will, in this instant, call again. Uh, thank you. Clunk speaking. Still vice president in charge of radio, pending angina pectoris. Now, before you are stricken, Clunk, what is the flash report on Bob O'Burl? I'm still calling, Tucker. Yes? Last 500 phone calls unanimous. Everyone crazy about Bob O'Burl. Huh? It's staggering. You are? No, no, it is. Oh. Okay, Clunk. Okay. Gad O'Burl, you're a Vogue. Yes. Yeah. If these figures continue, you'll pass the fireside chats any minute. <laughs> well, I'm off to visit my drunken uncle. He's an awful stew, and I do mean stew. <laughs> well, he certainly kills him. He certainly kills him, and the sooner the better. Get me a number, Miss Graff. Yes, sir. I have got to check on the public's reaction to the Puma cigarette. Ready, sir. Hello? Yeah. The Scallop Institute calling, madam. Yeah? Have you tried the new Puma cigarette, madam? Yeah. What is your opinion? There's too many syllables in Puma. Take off the M-A and what have you got? P-U. That's my opinion. Why, you... The police... What happened? This is what... Why, that wrong number. I'll find someone who likes Puma cigarettes if I have to start smoking them myself. Who is this? Where is Dr. Scallop? Faulkner Q. Pingree. <laughs> the president of Puma Cigarettes. Yes, Faulkner Q. Pingree. We were just talking. I'm going to do the talking now, Scallop. Yes, Faulkner Q. What are these phony reports you've been sending me about my radio program? It's the biggest thing on the air. Your comedian is... He's putrid. I've asked all my friends about this, Bob O'Burl. None of them can stand him. Now, you're wrong, Mr. Pingree. Our phone survey gives Bob O'Burl a 100% rating. Your survey's in the bunk. Figures don't lie. Scallop, our contract is canceled. But I can prove that people are listening to O'Burl, Mr. Pingree. Ah. My assistant, Clunk, has been phoning radio owners all day. You've got to show me, Scallop. I can show you. I'll show you Clunk's results, Mr. Pingree. Well, I'll make it snappy, Scallop. I've got a conference at Beaton, Bat, and Skeet and Scott. <laughs> well, one of them is bound to wait for you. <laughs> Clunk's office is down the hall, right through here. Right. This man, Clunk, you know, does nothing but phone unsuspecting people hour upon hour. He is neurotic but infallible. Uh, here's his office here. Uh, what do you think of Bob O'Burl, mister? Oh, you're nuts about him? <laughs> okay. Well, Clunk, how goes your rendezvous with Desmo? Oh, hello, Chief. Gosh, this Bob O'Burl poll is a landslide. I just got 50 more favorable reports. Now, there you are, Mr. Pingree. That proves something. Yes, it proves there's something screwy going on around here, Scallop. That adjective, Mr. Pingree, is repulsive. Wait a minute. Look at that telephone wire near the bottom. Gosh, Chief, my phone wire's been cut. Watch this. Another wire's hooked onto it. Yeah. Somebody has tapped this line. That second wire leads next door, Scallop. What's in there? That's an empty office. I'll find out who's at the bottom of this survey sabotage. I'm going to look in that next office. Right. Yes, sir. I just adore Bob O'Burl. His jokes are simply precious. Yes, sir. O'Burl! <laughs> what are you doing here? Why... <laughs> uh, hello, Mr. Pingree. What is this wiretapping skullduggery, uh... O'Burl? I'll tell you what it is, Scallop. No. O'Burl knew that nobody listened to his program. No. I... He tapped your Scallop survey wires. Well... He sat in here all day, disguising his voice, pretending to be the great American public. Well, he... Is he... this true, O'Burl? Well, he... 
Yeah, Dr. Scollop. You caught me with my rating down. <laughs> that is the last straw, Scollop. I'm through with you. I'm through with polls. I'm through with radio comedians. Fine. Well, this proves something you sponsors should have guessed long ago. What's that? Many a radio comedian who's on top of a pole should really be hung at half-mast. <laughs> Gentlemen, and that about concludes the business for this evening. And don't forget, next Wednesday evening, we bring you football prognostications. The score of the Cornell-Princeton game next Saturday will be... Cornell... Friedl-Feidels. Princeton... Virgils. Your song of the week. A pineapple for the teacher. A pineapple for the teacher. I go to bed. Nelson, Nelson. That's an apple for the teacher, not pineapple, isn't it? I'm going to reform school, brother. Oh, you would. And our guest star next week will be... That famous singing cowboy, Gene Autry. Yippee! And music. The Fred Allen Show, on Tuned to Yesterday from October 11th, 1939 on NBC. After the close of that radio season in June of 1940, Fred Allen would return on October 2nd of that year on another network, CBS, to host a program previously known as a variety show, the Texaco Star Theater. A week after that inaugural broadcast, on October 9th, Fred was not only heard on the Texaco Star Theater, but also in a recording of Superman, meant to be played at the convention of the independent magazine Wholesalers of the South Association, where he interviewed Jerry Siegel, co-creator of Superman. And the curtain comes down on this hour of comedy. On Tuned to Yesterday, be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from a golden age of radio. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>